Hello everyone, welcome back to my podcast. We are going to continue reading The Scarlet Letter, Chapter 10, The Leech and His Patient. Now, without further ado, happy listening. Old Roger Chillingsworth throughout life had been calm in temperament, kindly, though not of warm affections, but ever, and in all his relations with the world, a pure and upright man. He had begun an investigation, as he imagined, with the severe and equal integrity of a judge, desirous only of truth, even as if the question involved no more than the air-drawn lines and figures of a geometrical problem, instead of human passions, and wrongs inflicted on himself. But, as he proceeded, a terrible fascination, a kind of fierce, though still calm, necessity seized the old man within its gripe, and never set him free again until he had done all its bidding. He now dug into the poor clergyman's heart, like a miner searching for gold, or, rather, like a sexton delving into a grave possibly in quest of a jewel that had been buried on the dead man's bosom, but likely to find nothing save mortality and corruption. Alas, for his own soul, if these were what he sought. Sometimes a light glimmered out of the physician's eyes, burning blue and ominous, like the reflection of a furnace, or, let us say, like one of those gleams of ghastly fire that darted from Bunyan's awful doorway in the hillside and quivered on the pilgrim's face. The soil where this stark miner was working had perchance shown indications that encouraged him. This man, said he, at one such moment to himself, pure as they deem him, All spiritual as he seems, hath inherited a strong animal nature from his father or his mother. Let us dig a little further in the decretion of this vein. Then, after long search into the minister's dim interior, and turning over many precious materials in the shape of high aspirations for the welfare of his race, warm love of souls, pure sentiments, natural piety, strengthened by thought and study, and illuminated by revelation, all of which invaluable gold was perhaps no better than rubbish to the seeker, he would turn back discouraged and begin his quest towards another point. He groped along as stealthily with as cautious a tree and as wary an outlook, as a thief entering a chamber where a man lies only half asleep, or, if it may be, broad awake, with purpose to steal the very treasure which this man guards as an apple of his eye. In spite of his premediated carefulness, the floor would now and then creak, his garments would rustle, the shadow of his presence in a forbidden proximity would be thrown across his victim. In other words, Mr. Dimsdale, whose sensibility of nerve often produced the effect of spiritual intuition, would become vaguely aware that something inimical to his peace had thrust itself into relation with him. But old Roger Chillingsworth, too, had perceptions that were almost intuitive, and when the minister threw his startled eyes towards him, 
There the physician sat, his kind, watchful, sympathizing but never intrusive friend. Yet Mr. Dimsdale would perhaps have seen this individual's character more perfectly if a certain morbidness to which sick hearts are liable had not rendered him suspicious of all mankind. Trusting no man as his friend, he could not recognize his enemy when the latter actually appeared. He, therefore, still kept a familiar intercourse with him, daily receiving the old physician and in his study, or visiting the laboratory, and, for recreation's sake, watching the process by which weeds were converted into drugs of potency. One day, leaning his forehead against on his hand and his elbow on the sill of the open window that looked towards the graveyard, he talked with Roger Chillingsworth while the old man was examining a bundle of unsightly plants. Where? asked he, with a look of askance at them, for it was the clergyman's peculiarity that he seldom nowadays looked straightforward at any object, whether human or inmate. Where, my kind doctor, did you gather those herbs with such dark and flabby leaf? Even the graveyard here at hand, answered the physician, continuing his employment. They are new to me. I found them growing on a grave, which bore no tombstone, nor other memorial of the dead man, save these ugly weeds that have taken upon themselves to keep him in remembrance. They grew out of his heart, and typify, it may be, some hideous secret that was buried with him and which he had done better to confess during his lifetime. Perchance, said Mr. Dimsdale, he earnestly desired it, but could not. And wherefore, rejoined the physician, wherefore not, since all the powers of nature call so earnestly for the confession of sin, that these black weeds have sprung up out of a buried heart, to make manifest an unspoken crime? That, good sir, is but a fantasy of yours, replied the minister. There can be, if I forebode aright, no power, short of the divine mercy, to disclose whether the, by uttered words, or by type or emblem, the secrets it that may be buried with a human heart. The heart, making itself guilty of such secrets, must preforce hold them, unto the day when all hidden things shall be revealed." Nor have I so read or interpreted holy writ as to understand that the disclosure of human thoughts and deeds then to be made is intended as a part of the retribution that surely were a shallow view of it. No, these revelations, unless I greatly err, are meant merely to promote the intellectual satisfaction of all intelligent beings who will stand waiting on that day to see the dark problem of this life made plain. A knowledge of men's hearts will be needful to the completest solution of that problem, and I conceive, moreover, that the hearts holding such miserable secrets as you speak of will yield them up at that last day, not with a reluctance, but with a joy unutterable. Then why not reveal them here? asked Roger Chillingsworth, glancing quietly aside at the minister. Why should not the guilty ones soon reveal themselves to this unutterable solace? They mostly do, 
said the clergyman, gripping hard at his breast as if afflicted with an inopportune throb of pain. Many, many a poor soul hath given its confidence to me, not only on the deathbed, but while strong in life and fair in reputation. And ever, after such an outpouring, oh, what a relief have I witnessed in those sinful breathing, even as in one who at last draws free air, after long stifling with his own polluted breath. How can it be otherwise? Why should a wretched man, guilty will he, we will say, of murder, prefer to keep the dead corpse buried in his own heart rather than fling it forth at once and let the universe take care of it? Yet some men bury their secrets thus, observed the calm physician. True, there are such men, answered Mr. Dimsdale. But, not to suggest more obvious reasons, it may be that they are kept silent by the very constitution of their nature. Or, can we not suppose it, guilty as they may be, retaining nevertheless a zeal for God's glory and man's welfare, they shrink from displaying themselves black and filthy in the view of men, because thenceforth no good can be achieved by them, no evil of the past be redeemed by better service. So, to their own unutterable torment, they go about among their fellow creatures, looking pure as new-fallen snow, while their hearts are all speckled and spotted with iniquity, of which they cannot rid themselves. These men de deceive themselves, said Roger Chillingsworth, with somewhat more emphasis than usual, and making a slight gesture with his forefinger. They fear to take up the shame that rightfully belongs to them. Their love for man, their zeal for God's service, these holy impulses may or may not coexist in their hearts with the evil inmates to which their guilt has unbarred the door, and which must needs pro propagate a hellish breed within them. But if they seek to glorify God, let them not lift heavenward their unclean hands. If they would serve their fellow men, let them do it by making manifest the power and reality of conscience in constraining them to pen penetial self-abasement. Wouldst thou have me to believe, O wise and pious friend? What that a false show can be better, can be more of God's glory or man's welfare than God's own truth? Trust me, such men deceive themselves. It may be so, said the young clergyman, indifferently, as waiving a discussion that he considered irrele irrelevant or unreasonable. He had a ready faculty, indeed, of escaping from any topic that agitated his too sensitive and nervous temperament. But now, I would ask of my well-skilled physician whether, in good sooth, he deems me to have profited from his kindly care of this weak frame of mine. Before Roger Chillingsworth could answer, they heard the clear, wild laughter of a young child's voice proceeding from the adjacent burial ground. Looking instinctively from the open window, for it was summer time, the minister beheld Hester Prine and Little Pearl passing along the footpath that traversed the enclosure. Pearl looked as beautiful as the day, 
but was in one of those moods of perverse merriment which, whenever they occurred, seemed to remove her entirely out of the sphere of sympathy or human contact. She now skipped irre irreverently from one grave to another until, coming to the broad, flat, memorial tombstone of a departed worthy, perhaps of Isaac Johnson himself, she began to dance upon it, in reply to her mother's command and entreaty that she would behave more decorously. Little Pearl paused to gather the prickly burrs from a tall burdock, which grew beside the tomb. Taking a handful of these, she arranged them along the lines of the scarlet leather that decorated the maternal bosom, to which the burrs, as their nature was, tenaciously adhered hester did not pluck them off roger chillingsworth had by this time approached the widow and smiled grimly down there is no law no reverence for authority no regard for human ordinances or opinions right or wrong mixed up with that child's composition remarked he as much to himself as to his companion i saw her the other day bespattered the governor himself with water and the cattle through in Spring Lane. What, in heaven's name, is she? Is the imp altogether evil? Hath she affections? Hath she any discoverable principle of being? None. Save the freedom of a broken law, answered Mr. Dimsdale, in a quiet way, as if he had been discussing the point within himself. Whether capable of good, I know not. The child probably overheard their voices, for, looking up to the window with a bright but naughty smile of mirth and intelligence, she threw one of the prickly burrs at the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale. The sensitive clergyman shrunk with nervous dread from the light missile. Detecting his emotion, Pearl clapped her little hands in the most extravagant ecstasy. Hester Prine, likewise, had involuntarily looked up, and all these four persons, old and young, regarded one another in silence, till the child laughed out loud and shouted, Come away, mother, come away, or yonder old black man will catch you. He hath got hold of the minister already. Come hath away, mother, or he will catch you, but he cannot catch a little pearl. So she drew her mother away, skipping, dancing, and frisking fantastically among the hillocks of the dead people, like a creature that had nothing in common with a bygone and buried generation, nor owned herself akin to it. It was as if she had been made afresh, out of new elements, and must perforce be permitted to live her own life and be a law unto herself, without her eccentricity being reckoned to her for a crime. There goes a woman, resumed Roger Chillingsworth after a pause, who, be her Demetrius what they may, hath none of that mystery of hidden sinfulness which you deem so grievous to be born. Is Hester P Prine the less miserable? Thank you for that scarlet leather on her breast. I do verily believe it, answered the clergyman. Nevertheless, I cannot answer for her. There was a look of pain in her face, which I would gladly have been spared 
the sight of. But still, methinks, it must needs be better for the sufferer to be free to show his pain, as this poor woman Hester is, than to cover it all up with his heart. There was another pause, and the physician began anew to examine and arrange the plants which he had gathered. You inquired of me a little time agone, said he at length, my judgment as touching your health. I did, answered the clergyman. And would gladly learn it. Speak frankly, I pray you, be it for life or death. Freely, then, and plainly, said the physician, still busy with his plans, but keeping a wary eye on Mr. Dimsdale. The disorder is a strange one, not so much in itself, nor as outwardly manifested. In so far, at least, as the symptoms have been laid open to my observation, looking daily at you, my good sir, and watching the tokens of your aspect, now for months gone by, I should deem you as a man sore sick. It may be, yet not so sick, but that an instructed and watchful physician might well hope to cure you. Cure you. But I know not what to say. The disease is what I seem to know, yet know it not. You speak in riddles, learned sir, said the pale minister, glancing aside out the window. Then, to speak more plainly, continued the physician, and I crave pardon, sir, should it seem to require pardon for this needful plainness of my speech, let me ask, as your friend, as one having charge under providence of your life and physical well-being, hath all the operation of this disorder been fairly laid open and recounted to me? How can you question it? asked the minister. Surely it were child's play to call in the physician and then hide the sore. You would tell me then that I know all? Roger Chillingsworth deliberately, and fixing an eye bright with intense and concentrated intelligence on the minister's face. Be it so, but again, he to whom only the outward and physical evil is laid open knoweth oftentimes, but hath the evil which he is called upon to cure, a bodily disease which we look upon as whole and entire within itself may, after all, be but a symptom of some ailment in the spiritual part. Your pardon once again, good sir, if my speech give the shadow of offense. You, sir, of all men whom I have known, are he whose body is closest conjoined and imbued and, and identified, so to speak, with the spirit whereof of its instrument. Then I need ask no further, said the clergyman, somewhat hastily rising from his chair. You deal not, I take it, in medicine for the soul. Thus, a sickness, continued Roger Chillingsworth, going on in an unaltered tone, without heeding the interruption, but standing up and confronting the emaciated and white-cheeked minister with his low, dark, and misshapen figure. A sickness of sore place, if we may so call it, in your spirit, hath immediately its appropriate manifestation manifestation in your bodily frame would you therefore that your physician heal the bodily evil how may this be unless you first lay open to him the wound or trouble in your soul no not to thee not to an 
Unearthly physician, cried Mr. Dimsdale passionately and turning his eyes full and bright with a kind of fierceness and on old Roger Chillingsworth, not to thee, but if it be the soul's disease, then do I commit myself to one physician of the soul? He, if it stand with his good pleasure, can cure, or he can kill. Let him do with me as, in his justice and wisdom, he shall see good. But who art thou, that meddlest in this matter, that darest thrust himself between the sufferer and his God? With a frantic gesture, he rushed out of the room. It is as well to have made this step, said Roger Chillingsworth to himself, after looking after the minister with a grave smile. There is nothing lost. We shall be friends again anon, but see now how passion takes hold upon this man and hurrieth himself out of himself. As with one passion, with so with another, he hath done a wild thing ere now, this pious master Dimsdale, in the hot passion of his heart. It proved not difficult to reestablish the intimacy of the two companions on the same footing and on the same degree heretofore. The young clergyman, after a few hours of privacy, was sensible that the disorder of his nerves had hurried him into an unseemly outbreak of temper, which there had been nothing in the physician's words to excuse or palliate. He marveled, indeed, at the violence with which he had thrust back the kind old man, when merely proffering the advice which it had was his duty to bestow, and which the minister himself had expressly thought, sought. With these remorseful feelings, he lost no time in making the amplest apologies and besought his friends still to continue the care, which, if not successful in restoring him to health, had in all probability probability been the means of prolonging his feeble existence to that hour. Roger Chillingsworth readily assented and went on his medical supervision of the minister, doing his best for him in all good faith, but always quieting the patient's apartment at the close of a professional interview with a mysterious and puzzled smile upon his lips. This expression was invisible in Mr. Dimsdale's presence, but grew strongly evident as the physician crossed the threshold. A rare case, he muttered. I must needs look deeper into it. A strange sympathy betwixt my soul and body, were it only for the art's sake. I must search this matter to the bottom. It came to pass, not long after the scene above recorded, that the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale, at noonday and entirely unawares, fell into a deep, deep slumber, sitting in his chair, with a large black leather volume open before him on the table. It must have been a work of vast ability in the Somniferous School of Literature. The profound depth of the minister's repose was the more remarkable, inasmuch as he was the one of those persons who sleep ordinarily, as in light and fitful, 
and as easily scared away as a small bird hopping on a twig. To such an unatoned remoteness, however, had his spirit now withdrawn into itself, that he stirred not in his chair when old Roger Chillingsworth, without any extraordinary precaution, came into the room. The physician advanced directly in front of his patient, laid his hand upon his bosom, and thrust aside the vestment that hitherto had always covered it even from the professional eye. Then, indeed, Mr. Dimsdale shuddered, a slightly stirred. After a brief pause, the physician turned away, but with what a wild look of wonder, joy, and horror! With that, with what a ghastly rapture, as it were, too mighty to be expressed only by the eye and features, and therefore bursting forth through the whole ugliness of his figure, and making itself even righteously manifest by the extravagant gestures with which he threw up him his arms towards the ceiling and stamped his foot upon the floor. Had a man seen old Roger Chillingsworth at that moment of his ecstasy, he would have... have had no need to ask how Satan comports himself when a precacious human soul is lost to heaven and won to his kingdom. But what distinguished the physician's ecstasy from Satan's was a trait of wonder in it. And that, my friends, was chapter 10. Now, um... We're just going to dive right into it. I want to touch up on two things since the chapter was pretty short and it was pretty limited with the things that was happening in it. But first, we're going to talk about Roger, Mr. Chillingsworth, our little leech. Well, big leech because he's a human, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so last chapter, we were introduced to the leech, which was Roger Chillingsworth, and how he was trying to suck out information from Mr. Dimsdale. Now, this chapter is called The Leech, so Roger Chillingsworth, and his patient, and obviously the patient is Mr. Dimsdale. And now, last chapter, we established that, you know, the fact that Chillingsworth is being seen as a leech means that he's trying to suck out something from Mr. Dimsdale. And then in this chapter, it specifically says the leech and his patient. So that leads us to believe that Roger Chillingsworth is getting closer to, you know, sucking that information out of Mr. Dimsdale. And in fact, it does happen because um they set up the scene the author sets up the the scene and they are in chillingsworth's part of uh the house so in his little laboratory and you know he's he's um organizing leaves (laughs) interesting he's organizing leaves and dimsdale or Arthur, however we want to call him. I think last time I said that we were going to call him Arthur. So, Arthur, he is in the laboratory and they're, they're, they're speaking because, you know, they're on friendly terms. And he's looking out the window and he asks 
about his condition um but then he's interrupted by pearl and hester but that's gonna be the second point so we're gonna skip over that part for now and we're gonna focus on what happens after so he asks about his condition after hester and pearl leave they are continuing that conversation and roger chillingsworth uh he to to summarize it he is basically saying that there is no physical disease per se but that sickness that arthur dimsdale is experiencing is because something's not right with his soul because it only makes sense that even though you are in perfectly good shape and health your health is deteriorating not because something's wrong with your body but becomes because something's wrong with your soul and since the reverend arthur dimsdale um is a priest and it's really and he's really highly renowned in the town and he is this embodiment of purity and I don't know, maybe even seen as God's mes- messenger or something because he's really looked up to in this town. It only makes sense that his health is deteriorating so much because his relationship with God in some way or another has been damaged, right? So that's basically what uh, Chillingsworth is proposing. And Dimsdale it's already been established that he's a very nervous and very sentimental man so when he says this instead of i don't know well he obviously got offended but the way he reacted was very defensive his his body language he stood up from the chair his voice changed he became more agitated and he didn't even want to listen to what roger chillingsworth was saying and he just stormed out of the room that obviously indicates to us and also indicated to chillingsworth that there is something wrong and he got on the defensive because roger chillingsworth hit really close to the issue now this kind of links to my prediction that i did last chapter where i stated that um arthur is little pearl's father and this the way this um links or connects to the damaged soul is because he is a priest and you're not really supposed to do that especially with a woman who even though there were rumors that her husband was dead was married at the time he had no business put getting his business all up on that (laughs) or to put it more um how do you say it to put it more um professional Lee, yeah. He, as a man of his office, and Hester, as a married woman, they 
were never supposed to happen. Yet, I'm speculating, I'm speculating, or predicting that they did. Actually, not predicting, inferring. I'm inferring that they did. Now, obviously, we already saw what happened to Hester. She's seen as a sinner, and she needs to wear a scarlet leather because she committed adultery. It's shameful for a woman. But even though this would be more shameful for a woman during this time, there isn't one exception, and that is if it was the priest or the religious figure. Because the religious figure, they're supposed to embody perfection and purity, right? A woman is also supposed to embody that. They're supposed to be saints, but saints are second to the priest because, as I said before, uh, Arthur Dimsdale, he is regarded as kind of like God walking on earth. I'm pretty sure they mentioned that in the book, last chapter, or something along those lines. So obviously, he's going to be first and then goes the saints which are represented by women or what women are trying to represent but they don't they don't do a very good job at it obviously (laughs) that was mean i'm sorry but it would be even more shameful if it was dimsdale who was the father because first of all his career profession his studies go down the drain and It's just not a good look for him, right? So, the fact that he got so defensive of what um, Chillingsworth was suggesting kind of lets Chillingsworth and the readers, aka you and me, know that he's getting on the right track, right? Now, moving on to the second point is the little scene, the short scene of Hester and Little Pearl in the cemetery and Roger and Arthur looking at them from the window. Now, both of the men's attention turned to them and they're, they're speaking of them like, you know, oh, sinners, what the heck is that child? Is she a demon or whatever? But I'd like to... Um, direct your attention to this specific part. Before Hester and Pearl leave, it is Pearl who tells them to leave in the first place. But she says something very strange and specific. And I'm going to read it to you once again to refresh your memory. She says, Come away, mother, come away, or yonder old black man will catch you. He hath got hold of the minister already. Come away, mother, or he will catch you, but he cannot catch little Pearl. Now, we're going to break it down. We're going to ignore the first come away because, you know, she's just saying like, oh, let's leave, mom. Let's leave. Let's get out of here. Right. But now we're going to go to the second part, which is which says come away or yonder old black man will catch you. Now, 
I am not so familiar with all the ways that they call Satan, but I am pretty sure that this is a reference to Satan himself. Because, you know, black man, black, the color black represents, you know, death, evil, mystery, right? So, I'm going to take it that, in this sense, the black represents, like, the dark evilness of hell, you know? Or or of Satan himself, because, you know, he represents all that is bad in the world, right? And man. So, in religion, I'm pretty sure, Satan is depicted as a man. So... You know, another point. But then it says, before black man, it says old. Now, if you remember, in the last chapter, we uh, the author spoke of a small group of people who were speculating that Satan had um, taken hold of uh, Roger Chillingsworth. So... They saw that, you know, Mr. Dimsdale was an angel combating Satan himself. And Satan was, or, sorry, Roger Chillingsworth is Satan. And they're in the battle of good and evil. And they hope that Mr. Dimsdale prevails. Okay, that was a very simplified version of it but i hope you do remember that from last chapter if you don't you now remember so maybe this reference is to satan but it also links to the reference that roger chillingsworth is also reference to satan like he embodies satan maybe that's why they put old because uh the 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 chapter starts with old Roger Chillingsworth, okay? So, old black man, so maybe she's referencing Chillingsworth. Because I, I'm not surprised that they'd use uh, Pearl's character to do this. Because in the chapter that was, in the chapters that were dedicated just solely to her and her behavior, it was established that Pearl is not a normal child. And what the author is trying to convey is that she's kind of... Kind of like a divine presence. Or even demonic presence. Because, you know, people, they're arguing, like, is she a demon? Or or what? Is she a gift from God or something? But Pearl, her behavior and her way of sensing things is very um peculiar so it would it doesn't surprise me that she would say something like this right so come away or yonder old black man will catch you so or yonder old roger chillingsworth will catch you he hath got hold of the minister already now the minister is obviously referencing to mr dimsdale So that also links to last chapter where that small group of people were speculating that Satan has come 
and is trying to take away Mr. Dimsdale. So, yeah, and then come away, mother, or he will catch you. So maybe this is referencing to one of the first chapters. I think it was the third chapter where uh, Roger, he enters the prison and he's tending to Little Pearl and Hester. And he threatens Hester that he will find the man, right? But then she says, but he cannot catch Little Pearl. Now... This might go into prediction territory, where I'm going to predict that Roger Chillingsworth will discover and out Mr. Dimsdale. He will try to ruin Hester and almost succeed, maybe, I don't know. And he will try to do something to Pearl, but he's unable to. I don't know what it is, but that is a thing. And that can be the third point that we can add to our um, essay thing or as a refresher. Um, The first point was who is, uh, or the first body paragraph is, who is the man who impregnated Hester? The second point, I think, had something to do with Pearl. Like, just Pearl in general. I remember that I said that, oh, what's going to happen to Pearl? Will they take Pearl away from her? But that was resolved very quickly. So I'm just going to say that the second body paragraph is just all about Pearl. And I'm going to say that the third point will be what will Robert Chillingsworth do to those three characters? Because I'm already laying my cards on the table and I am saying that Hester, Arthur, and Pearl are a family. They are related, okay? Arthur is Pearl's father and you cannot do anything to change my mind. Unless, you know, the book says otherwise, but you know but that little um one two three four four lines just and it was such a small scene but those four lines already told so much and then it's further reinforced by what i already mentioned earlier with dimsdale's reaction to roger's um proposition and then the last part where very creepily roger he just enters the room and removes what does he remove again um let's see advanced directly in front of his patient laid his hand upon his bosom and thrust aside the vestment that hitherto had always covered it even from the professional eye so he kind of removes his um clothes a bit or just, you know, shifts them to the side. And I'm not going to say fondles. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and touches uh, Mr. Dimsdale's breast or his chest. Where he very oftenly, you know, puts his hand on because it hurts. 
a throb of pain and he sees something doesn't say what but he is happy he 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 stomps his foot and raises his hands up and is in like this state of pure ecstasy and once again he's compared to satan so it uh, supports my argument of old black man also being a reference to satan and satan being a reference to robert chillingsworth or actually vice versa robert chillingsworth being a reference to satan Ooh, spooky right but uh that is all i have for now it was also a pretty short chapter and chapter 11 is even shorter man we're having little like bite-sized chapters lately yeah chapter 12 is also pretty short i'm just you know flipping through some pages yeah we have bite-sized chapters which is nice that means the commentary can be a bit shorter but commentary is never really short with when i start talking (laughs) but um yeah Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter and I'll see you real soon.